Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. In Acts chapter 17, Paul praises the Bereans for checking what he says against the truth of Scripture. Today, Jason looks at Acts chapter 17 and verses 10 through 15 in a sermon he's entitled, The Noble Bereans. Join us now in part 57 of our walk through the book of Acts. Here's Jason. You can turn with me to the book of Acts, to the 17th chapter of the book of Acts as we continue our walk through the book of Acts, watching Jesus at work. And this morning in particular, we are going to see a passage that is quite familiar, quite famous. Many know of the noble Bereans. And and as you turn there, let me throw out a question that's going to seem very random at the beginning. And, And hopefully... After I steer the ship back, you guys will understand what indeed this this question is, is framing. And this question is this, do you think that x-ray machines are important? Are you thankful for an x-ray machine? Have you even ever thought about an x-ray machine? I would say that, that that the answer to that question is highly dependent upon whether or not you've actually had to use an x-ray machine or had someone use one for you on your behalf in order to determine something that you weren't very clear on or that perhaps they weren't clear on because x-ray machines are very helpful, are they not? Totally helpful. In, in Papua New Guinea, we, we had to rely upon something that was not as near as reliable as an x-ray machine, and that was the eye of Jason. That That is not a very good thing. Because inevitably what would happen over time as we were serving in Papua New Guinea, and because the people build houses that are very high and their porches are very high, a child would fall off from a 10-foot porch or, or an adult would fall off. They'd land upon their hand and they'd come to us with this dangling thing that you're looking at going, well, that certainly looks broken, but I'm not certain that it's broken. And so then I'd touch it and they'd scream in pain and agony. And so you naturally assume, well, yes, they have a broken limb. But then what happens? How do we set it? Can I set it? Will I break something worse by setting it? And is it indeed broken or is it not? What added to this whole situation that happened numerous times is the fact of how much it costs to fly someone out. You see, it would cost some three to $500 to fly someone out out of our particular village to a, a place where they could get medical attention. And our people did not have much money. And all we'd require of them to pay is is maybe like 20 American dollars. And so all the rest of the money came from you know where. It came from the missionaries. And so as a result, it wasn't something that we were wanting to do quickly and all the time. And yet there were times where it was needful. And yet, even when we pulled the trigger, we called the plane in, and they came, and, and that person could not walk, and you knew that there was something seriously wrong with them. When they did get out to the city, 
then you had to run the risk of, of them being returned without being fixed. Why? Because they would go and they'd find out when they got there, oh yes, the x-ray machine is functioning, but we have no film. And so they'd send them back saying, well, we think that it's broken, but we don't know for sure. And so it's really no better than, than where they were with us. The other option at times was, okay, yes, the x-ray machine was functioning. They had film. They'd figure out that there was indeed a broken bone, some sort of limb that, that was needing to be fixed. But then as they went to the doctor and the doctor needed to cast it, there was no material to cast. And so they'd send them back in the ace bandage that we had sent them out in. Is that the purpose of an x-ray machine? No. The purpose of an x-ray machine is to be used. And the purpose of an x-ray machine is to bring clarity, to bring understanding, so that what is not seen with the naked eye can be known and understood. And yes, indeed, that is a break. In very much the same way is God's Word. God's Word is something that is much like an x-ray. It allows us to see things that go deeper than what is what with what we would normally grasp with our own understanding. Right? God's word is powerful. God's word can can do things on our behalf. It can go into the inner recesses of our heart, into in dividing the soul, right? It, it can do things that you and I don't often think that it can do. And what we are going to see this morning is, is how God's Word should be used. And oftentimes, we, we tend to not think about God's Word as being such an important tool in our lives. And you know what would happen sometimes in Papua New Guinea? I'd go and I'd, and I'd follow them. I'd take whoever hurt themselves to the hospital. They'd go through the whole rigmarole that took hours upon hours. And then I'd go back and I'd visit them. And the doctor, he'd want to show me exactly what was broken. So he'd, he'd, he'd take that, that, that x-ray that looks like film, right? And he'd hold it onto this machine that was like this light that went all the way across with the screen. And he'd hold it up there and he'd say, look at this. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> it just looks like a whole bunch of black scratches with, I think that's a bone there, but I, what? And he, no, there's a great big gap there. Can't you see it? It's like a half an inch, three quarters of an inch gap between this bone and this. But this, this is broken. This needs to be mended. This needs to be fixed. And yet for me, I, I didn't have the ability to look at that. Why? Because I was not an expert in that. That was not something that I, that I went to day after day after day. And, and now I had developed this understanding of how to read these. Some of us are like that with God's Word. That we need to spend more time in God's Word. And what we are going to see this morning is we're going to see some valuable lessons given to us on part of these Berean Jews that we pick up in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 to 15. As we watch them respond to God's Word in a way that you and I should respond to God's Word. So let's look at God's Word together. In Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. 
Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there as well agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we confess that we need help. That we don't always receive Your Word the way that we should. That we don't always examine Your Word the way that we should. And that at times we don't always believe Your Word to be true. Guide our time now. Allow Your Holy Spirit, You Holy Spirit, to illuminate our hearts, to revive us, to make Your Word clear, to draw us near to Yourself and give us a a better understanding of Your Word and how we are to spend time in Your Word, how we are to react to Your Word being preached, how we are to search Your Scriptures and grow in our understanding of them. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what we are going to see today is that that God's Word as presented to us and the way that the Bereans react to God's Word and the way that they respond to God's Word is is much like an x-ray machine. And that an x-ray machine is both instructive and corrective. On the one hand, it it reveals things that you can't see, that you don't know for sure are messed up, are broken. And what that x-ray machine does is it validates, yes, that is indeed the problem. And God's Word will do the same. It will allow conviction to come into our hearts when we recognize from God's Word, oh, we are not living the way that we ought. But it is also correction. It is corrective in the way that that an x-ray machine allows someone to know exactly how to correct this particular break? Do they need to add a a plate and some screws? Or or will this mend on itself by, by just putting them in a cast? In very much the same way, God's Word is corrective. It corrects us, but it can also be used as a corrective tool to recognize whether someone is proclaiming truth or falsehood. In some sort of error. Something that is indeed not true to God's Word. And that is what we are going to see this morning with these Bereans. That as they come to God's Word, first they will receive the Word. And you and I should follow. We should be willing to receive the Word of God. Then we're going to see that they don't stop there. They examine the Word. They go back to what they had heard before, what they had read before, and and they take what Paul and Silas are saying, and they hold it up to what God's Word actually has communicated. 
And then finally, we are going to see that they believe the Word of God. Today, we'll be given the the keys, some help in knowing how to use the Word of God. And the first thing that we see is this. That the Bereans receive the Word of God. But let me go back and tag on a little bit of of what we learned earlier as I encouraged us all to spend more time investing in one another. For the background's important as to where the Apostle Paul and Silas have gone and what is happening. Look at verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. We notice here that this is tagged on to what exactly just happened in Thessalonica. That Jason and the believers in Thessalonica were in, were in a hard situation. And it looked as if everything was going to continue to spiral out of control and continue to go wrong. And, and yet the Lord provided a way for them to get out of that situation by paying some sort of pledge. In that pledge, they, they must have given some sort of commitment that they wore going to stop Paul and Silas from continuing on with the teaching that they were doing. And now what we see in in verse 10 is immediately at that time, they recognize that every minute was essential. And so even at night, they come along to Paul and Silas and they say, hey, you guys need to leave. Remember, these are young believers. This is a new church. And they're coming up to the great apostle Paul and they're sending him. Why? Because they are concerned for him. They are concerned for Silas. And they recognize that if they do not get them out, and and most likely the reason why they're sending them at night is because if they had tried this during the day, perhaps the riot would, would ensue again. And perhaps at that time, they would all lose their lives. And so instead, they send them away at night, predominantly because they were concerned for Paul and Silas. And we see this concern also in verse 14. Now with a different church with this church in Berea. And look at them and how they respond. They say, then, as Luke says, then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea and Silas and Timothy remained there. And very much a similar situation as these Jews from Thessalonica travel all the way to Berea, which is some 45 miles. They come and they arrive in Berea. And they're turning everything upside down. And, and what do the believers recognize? They recognize that just what happened in Thessalonica is now happening before their very eyes. And they see that if they do not stop this from continuing on, Paul might lose his life. And so they then encourage Paul. They then send him away. Why? Because they are caring and loving Paul. Do you believe that that Paul would have been in accord with this plan? Knowing the way Paul is, I'm thinking he would have pushed back. He would have said, no, 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 I, I don't need to go anywhere. What do you mean leave? But they step forward and they show even in in their infant stage as a, as a young little baby church, a desire to look after one another, a genuine concern for the well-being of others. May I piggyback on the time that we all spent with one another? 
at the beginning of the service. Is there something that you learned from the person that you spent time with that, that might encourage you to pray for that person this week? Even a step further, is there something that maybe you learned that might help you to help that particular person with something? That that's what the body of Christ, that's how we should function. That we should have a, a genuine concern for one another. How are we doing at that? Can we grow more in the way that we look after one another? Can we follow suit? Can we follow the example of, of these young churches and look after the, the needs that we have for one another? Notice too what happens in verse 10. Look at where Paul and Silas go. As when they arrive, so when they arrive in Berea, where do they go? They go into the synagogue of the Jews. Have we not noticed that time and time again, as Paul arrives someplace, where does he go? He goes to a synagogue. The Lord has always provided a place for him to share Christ with others. And even in those places where there is not a synagogue, The Lord provides an opportunity, a place where he recognizes, yes, this is where I will share the gospel with these folks. Now, I know that for us, we don't live in this realm. Most of us are not Jewish. So to apply this, to to take this out of this time frame and and put it today, it it, it seems like this would be kind of difficult. Well, well, what, what, what should we do, Pastor Jason? Are there opportunities for us to to have natural gospel conversations with others? Are there places that the Lord is putting us in each week that because we're not recognizing it, we don't see, but they are wonderful opportunities for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and have gospel conversations with others? I believe there are. I believe the difference is is that Paul had the mindset, he had the focus, that when he came into a new city, that is what he was looking for. He was looking for places to share Christ with others. And so, boom, he went right to a synagogue. For you and I, maybe it's Starbucks. Maybe as you're waiting in line, standing in that line, waiting to to get whatever it is you're going to order, and you order it each day. That maybe that is the place that the Lord wants you to strike up some sort of conversation. Or, or maybe it's, it's waiting in a line at, at some sort of restaurant. Say, like Subway or something. That you do quite frequently. And so you know the person behind the counter. And as you are talking with them, giving them your order, they inevitably ask you how life is. How do you respond? Do you look at that as an opportunity? Perhaps it's, it's when you're getting your hair cut. As you have 30 minutes with that particular person. And inevitably at some time, where does the conversation go? It goes personal. And they ask you how your kids are or how this is or how that is. Would that not be an opportunity for you to spark up some sort of gospel conversation? To plant some sort of seed I believe the reason why we do not see these all the time is because we're not looking. We're not thinking about the opportunities that the Lord is placing before us. And we're thinking, oh no, these cities, every one of them had a synagogue. Well, Paul was searching for them. I'm sure it wasn't easy for him to find the synagogue. He had to go looking for it. 
And you and I, we must do the same. And what a challenge that is. That we must have an attitude where we actually see that evangelism is something that we should be a part of, that we should be involved in, that, that should be something that we do. That doesn't mean that you have to come on, on Saturday and that you have to learn this particular protocol and this particular method and, and then you have, no, you can start now. It's not always just going to the mall. It could be just conversation, some initial conversation with one of your coworkers. That's what this looks like, an, an attitude towards evangelism. But you know what else we see that is so strongly stated here is an attitude towards the Scriptures. And what we see first is this, that they receive the Word. And do not miss this. Look at verse 11, just the first part of verse 11. As we see some characterizations of these folks in Berea. It says this, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the Word with great eagerness. Now I don't know what you think of when, when somebody says noble, but I tend to think of nobility. I, I tend to, to think of somebody who is literally what this word means is well-born. That they're born into a family of some sort of influence and a affluence, right? That they have lots of money. And, and, and that, that it's significant because of their family. That's why they are nobility. But you know what? This word has nothing to do with that. That is not the meaning. The meaning of this word has nothing to do with their family upbringing or anything else like this. What this word has to do with is the idea of being free from prejudice. Open-minded. Having a willingness to evaluate something fairly. And that is significant for these Jews. Why? Because everyone else, as far as the Jewish faith goes, they are coming and they are listening to Paul with all sorts of prejudice in their back pocket. And they're saying this can't be the Messiah. What he says can't be true. This is not the truth. And yet what these guys do is nothing like that. When they come to God's Word, they have no prejudgment. They have no prejudice. They come and they hear God's Word with a fair hearing. Is is that your attitude towards God's Word? That as you come... And as you heard the, hear the Word of God preached, are you coming with an attitude where you are saying, yes, okay, Lord, whatever you want to teach me through your Word this morning, I am going to listen. Not only am I going to listen, but we, but we see why they are considered noble. Do you see that? For it says, for they receive... That's, that's giving us a causal statement. The reason why they are noble is because they did this. They received the Word of God. Do you know that that word can mean to receive something with the hand? And I believe what the Lord is letting us know is He is giving us a posture for us all to to take and to have regarding God's Word. He's, He's dealing with our attitude towards the Word of God. But generally, when we think of posture, you think of the outward side of things, right? And I'll I'll let you know that, that... Sunday after Sunday, I recognize your postures. Right? And I know how how you're sitting. And by the way that you're sitting, do you know what? At some point, it does reveal something, does it not? 
At times in seminary, I, I couldn't believe guys that were spending so many thousands of dollars to come and hear the Word of God and to have the Word of God taught to them. You know what they would do? Oh no, I'm listening. I'm listening. And, and, and they'd fall asleep. They'd be asleep for, for most of what, whatever that professor was teaching. What, what's your posture like within your heart? Are, are, are you leaning forward when, when we have seized chocolate in my house and, and I, and I'm reaching out to give one to my kids? They're not like, ah, oh, now go, go to them first. No, 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 I want some right now. Why? Because I don't know if I'm going to get another piece after this. It might run short. Are you like that with God's Word? When it comes to your posture, thinking about receiving God's Word, are you coming with that kind of attitude? Is that your mindset? And then we see this. that That's just the receiving part. Look at what else it says. It then tells us exactly how they were receiving. They were receiving it with great eagerness. That's an exceptional willingness, a readiness to grab onto something that they were saying, no, I don't want to miss this. Are are you like that on Sunday mornings? Man, I don't want to miss what the Lord wants to teach me this morning through the preaching of His Word. Are you like that in the morning or in the evening or in the afternoon whenever you have your time alone with the Lord? Spending time in His Word. What is your attitude like? Oh, I just get, I'm, I'm marking off my 15 minutes and then I'm done. Or are you coming to God's Word eager to hear it? Eagerly, eagerly to listen to what the Lord has for you. But in this, we see that there's more to it than just this. For, for these guys didn't just receive the Word. It's not just talking about their attitude, but we see something regarding their action as well. Something regarding their, their behavior, their pattern, their way of life. And that is this. Not only do they receive the Word of God, but they examine the Word of God. Look at the second part of, of verse 11. As it says, For they received the Word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So when we're talking about our posture towards the Word of God, our attitude towards the Word of God, we also have to recognize that there is an action involved. There is a behavior involved. There is a pattern. And when we see the Bereans and we see the way that they respond to God's Word, did did you see what they do? They examine the Word of God, but did you notice when they examine the Word of God? And do you notice how different this is from every other account that we have seen? It says they examine the Word of God every day. They examine the Scriptures daily. Why is that? I don't have the answers. God's Word doesn't tell us. But this is significant because what we had just seen and who they're being compared to is those Jews in Thessalonica. And what were they all about? They were about hearing the Word on the Sabbath and only on the Sabbath. So they would hear the Word once a week. These guys say no. No, we want more. These guys are, are like Psalm 42.1 is the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs after you, Lord. We want more of this. 
They weren't content with merely hearing the Word of God preached one Sunday. They came to the Word over and over again. Did it look like them coming to Paul and saying, hey, that was so great, we want you to come back tomorrow. And then that, then that day, hey, you know what, Paul, are you free tomorrow? And the day after, hey, hey, Paul, can you come back again? Hey, can you come back again? And can you come back again? But it wasn't just that this was a daily routine for them. But we see that they then take it to an an extreme and they examine the Word of God every day. What, What does your daily intake of the Word of God look like? Are you more prone and more consistent with with getting your coffee fixed each day than getting your fix with the Word of God? What, what, what does this look like for us? Man, this, this is convicting. This is what these guys did. Day after day, they came to the Word of God. And then listen to this. When it says they examined the Word of God, the idea behind this is, is to engage in a careful study that you have a question over something about. So it's as if they're asking questions to themselves and then they're taking those questions to the Word of God. Could this be the case? Okay, he says that Isaiah 53 says this about the suffering servant. Could this be the reality? Because he's now saying that that is Jesus Christ. Is that what it says there? But it goes deeper than that. It's actually a word used in judicial hearing. It's a word used in the court of law. So the reality, the word picture that we see with this is that they are like little mini lawyers. And they are taking everything that Paul says and they are holding him in court. And they are saying, is this true or can we indict him? Is that your attitude with me when I come and preach? Is that your attitude with whoever you listen to on your iPod as they're preaching? That you are searching the Scriptures and that you want to know for sure that this is indeed what the Word of God is saying. You know, I don't think I totally understood this until a couple weeks ago when I had jury duty. Why? Because you know what is the most significant thing about jury duty? It's time. Right? Let's be honest. When we all get the jury summons, what are we thinking? Oh no, how long am I going to be locked into this? And yet, to a certain extent, you know what's behind the idea of examining It's time. You cannot do this quickly. You cannot study. You cannot examine the Word quickly. As a juror, you cannot do justice to that case, to the person who his whole life could be changed as a result of whatever the jury finds as a verdict, right? So you want this process to be slow. And they recognize that. So when you come to God's Word, how are you coming to God's Word? What, What is your posture? Are you coming to God's Word like you're going through the drive through at McDonald's? And you want it now and you want it fast. And so you come and you say, oh man, I am going to spend 10 minutes in the Word. And that's all that we get. And I'm not going to dig in any more than that. Do you, do you know that's, that's why I, I give the points to ponder each week? Not so that you can spend three minutes and go, huh, that was, that's kind of an interesting thought. But so that you can use that as a, as a launching pad as a diving board into the depths of God's Word to search over here, to search over there, and to see just how deep God's Word is. That's what it's talking about when it says that the Bereans examined the Word. That they spent time. 
their valuable time digging into the Word to see if it was so. How are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? Not just time, but but is it time that matters and is it time spent examining the Word of God? But notice too what else it says. It gives us the reason why they are spending time in the Word. Why are they examining the Word of God? Does it say to see whether the Apostle Paul was right? Does it say to see whether the Apostle Paul was a Calvinist? Does it say what to see whether the Apostle Paul was somewhat crazy? Does it say any of those things? The Apostle Paul isn't even in the mix. It says to see whether these things were so. To see whether the Apostle Paul and what he said was indeed what the Word of God says. So when you hear someone preach, that is what you should do. That is what I should do. Don't get lost on on all these other things that you could get lost on. Get lost in God's Word. And hold whatever they say to the candle of God's Word. Is that indeed what God's Word says? That's what these Bereans were doing. And, And notice in this, you know what's really implied in this is that as they come to God's Word, what are they expecting? As they come to God's Word in order to make sure that things are so, that this is indeed what God's Word is communicating, what are they expecting? They are expecting to find truth. They are expecting to actually understand God's Word. Right? They're not expecting to be confused. They recognize, oh no, God's Word will make an informed Opinion for us. No, even more than that. God's Word will reveal what is true and what is not true. Think about this. Do you believe this morning that when you read God's Word that you can truly understand it? Hold back for a minute. What if you've not gone to seminary? What if you don't know Greek and you don't know Hebrew? Can you spend time immersing yourself in the Word of God? Spending time examining the Word of God? Can you know the Word of God? Can you understand it? Please say yes. (laughs) Please, please, please say yes. Because that is the power of the Word of God. It is living. It is active. But don't say yes so quickly that you think it's easy. Because it is not easy. You're going to find passages of Scripture that the first time do not make sense. Do you understand that that Monday has taken on a whole new meaning for me? Why? Because Monday is the day where I start thinking about what am I going to preach on Sunday? And as I look at a particular passage of Scripture, which for expositional preachers like myself, I always know what it is. It's going to be the next set of verses. But the reality is, as sometimes I come on Monday and I look at this text, I totally freak out. Because I have no idea where I'm going to go with that. And I have no idea what this particular passage means and how I can take it and then apply it to us. That is the beauty of God's Word. And spending time in it. And digging into it. And saturating yourself with it. And reading it over and over and over again. Some 20, 30 times I'll I'll read the same passage. 
And even at the 25th time, something will just pop out to me that I hadn't noticed. That's the power of the Word of God, but it takes time. It takes our energy. It takes effort. And we have a joint responsibility. My responsibility is to proclaim, to teach accurately and truthfully according to the Word of God. Why? Because God is going to hold me accountable. More so than all of you. This is a major responsibility that every preacher has to come to grips with. And on the one hand, it is an awesome responsibility that scares me to death. And on the other hand, it is the thing that gets me more excited, knowing that, yes, the Lord's going to hold me accountable to this, but this is the power of God's Word. And that is why I so diligently dig into God's Word. Does this mean I have all the answers? Does this mean that, that I don't think a position that I hold to right now might change? No. What this means is I continue to walk in dependence upon the Lord. As I come to His Word week after week, searching the Scriptures, asking Him to help me to know how to proclaim this for His glory and for our good. But it's not just my responsibility. You have a responsibility as well to hear the Word of God, to receive it eagerly, and also then to come to it and spend time holding whatever the preacher says with what God's Word says, examining it as if you were in a court of law. Is this indeed the case? Hey, don't take it just because I say it. Don't believe just because there's a pastor or a preacher you've been listening to for 20 years and everything that he says has been golden up to this point that he might not jump off someplace. No, you need to take whatever someone is preaching and you need to hold that to God's Word. As the measuring rod, His Word is not the measuring stick. God's Word is the measuring stick. Amen? Amen. And then we go on. And by God's wonderful grace, as we've seen before, as the Gospel is proclaimed, and as some are persuaded, we see what happens finally is that they do indeed believe the Word of God. After this careful examination, after this eagerness to receive the Word of God, we see in, in verse 12 that therefore many of them believed. Notice that that is different from what we saw in Thessalonica. There the Jews that believed were some. This is a greater number. Why is that? No doubt because of their attitude towards the Scripture, because of their action, because of their behavior, that they were not just willing to receive the Word and wanted to receive the Word, but they were running to the Scriptures and examining them. And the Lord used that to prepare their hearts. And then they believed, but not just them, along with a number of prominent women, or Greek women and men. Again, we see the universal scope of God's heart. That it's not just about the Jews. He desires everyone to be saved. And in this, I, let me just say one word about what we believe. Because some would say, oh, I, I know you Christians. I know you believers. You guys believe in something that's more of a, a leap of faith. You have no sub, substance to what you believe. And yet from what we see, no, that is not the case at all. What do we believe? We believe in the truth revealed in God's Word. In the plan of redemption that is clearly articulated throughout all of Scripture that we've already seen in the book of Acts. That's what they were believing in. 
They weren't just jumping off a cliff of blind faith. They were trusting in what God had already revealed to them through His Word and that was now confirming through the Apostle Paul. Grounded in the Word of God. And as is often the case, as the Word is proclaimed, as people are persuaded, as people believe, as more of Christ's church is added to, we see that persecution happens. Look at verse 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the Word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. What, what do you think the intentions of these Bereans were? I mean, sorry, of these from Thessalonica were when they came to Berea? Was their intention just to stop them from preaching in Berea? Is that why you would travel 45 miles? I don't believe so. I, I believe their intention is one and of the same as Satan's intention. Their destruction. They wanted to stop them from proclaiming the Word of God, period. Not just in Berea, but from this point on. That's why they're trying to start up another riot. They know that if they can get things going, that the end result will be the death of Paul and Silas. Listen, Satan has two game plans. Really. His number one game plan is to take as many with him to hell as he can. And so what does he do? He tries to dissuade people from believing as much as he can with with the power that he has been given to stop people from believing. But once someone believes, do you believe that Satan's game plan is then to just leave them alone? No, his other game plan is to mess up believers as much as he can, to stand in their way, to discourage them, to get them off track. And that's what he's doing here. And I believe that if we see a lack of persecution, as we have seen throughout the book of Acts, if we see a lack of Satan pushing back on us, we must ask the question, why is that? Could it be perhaps because we are not pushing into the darkness? And and as a result, Satan really hasn't even noticed us yet. Do we see any persecution? And I'm not talking about, oh, please, let's, let's just bring on persecution needlessly. But no, has Satan noticed what's going on? And could that be an indication that we need to be more involved in reaching out to our community, reaching out to the world? So many things presented in here are a challenge to me. You, you want to know what the biggest challenge to me? We still haven't hit it. The biggest challenge to me in, in these verses is this. Look at when these Bereans get saved. They don't get saved until verse 12. Verse 11, when they are receiving the Word of God eagerly, when they are examining the Scriptures every day, that is before they are saved. What do you think these guys looked like once they were saved? Do you think they just stopped? No, I believe that was a pattern that they established from the start, and that is the pattern they continue on. Look at as as the Apostle Paul leaves, he leaves Silas and Timothy with them. Why? For the sole purpose of preaching, of teaching them, of discipling them, of growing them up in Christ. And I have to believe that as he is doing that, do you know what they're doing? They're receiving it eagerly, but they're also examining it daily. That's what we should be like. 
That we should be receiving God's Word eagerly, excited to see what the Lord has for us today. Whether that's coming here on Sundays or that's in your daily time with the Lord. And then we should be examining the Scriptures. Spending time percolating, digging into His Word and allowing His Word to be the ultimate authority in each of our lives. You know what we'll see in Acts chapter 20? Again, much like the church in Thessalonica, that I believe was a very missions-minded church because of what is written in 1 Thessalonians. But here, when we get to Acts chapter 20, we are going to see that the church in Berea, likewise, was a very missionary-minded church. It was a missions church. It sent people out. What they were all about was the gospel. Because in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, we're going to meet this man named Sopater. And do you know who he is and where he's from? He is from Berea. And he's a man who joins Paul on his missionary journey. Where are the Sopaters of of RBC? Where are those that the Lord wants to raise up and send out from our body? How are we impacting our communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, it starts first with how we handle God's Word and and what our attitude is like towards God's Word and what our behavior is rooted in day in and day out. Are we spending time in the Word, plugging into the Word and examining the Word of God? I've exhausted our time this morning, but let me just go through these. For you all to consider this week. I've said most of this already. Consider how the believers in both Thessalonica and Berea show concern for Paul and the other missionaries by sending them away before they get hurt. Is this the kind of concern? Do you have this kind of concern reflected in your life? Is this reflected here at RBC? Yes or no? How can we do a better job with this? Number two, consider how the Bereans were hearing and examining the Word every day instead of every Sabbath like in Thessalonica. How about you? How do you do each day spending time in God's Word? Is that a consistent thing or is it not? And finally, consider how persecution followed Paul everywhere he went. If we see a lack of persecution or a lack of Satan pushing back, Perhaps the reason is that we aren't pushing into the darkness or we aren't bringing the light of Jesus Christ into our dark world enough that Satan has noticed us yet. Do you see a lack of pushback from Satan in your life? Here at RBC, why or why not? Those are good questions for us to be considering. Seeking the Lord and asking Him to embolden us and allow us to see those opportunities each week that He presents to us. Let me close our time. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we recognize that this task is a huge task and, and yet we know that You go before us. We know that someday You are coming back. And we desire to to live for You until that point. We desire to turn this world upside down for You. We desire to have the right attitude towards Your Word that we would be eager to receive it each day and lord we desire as well that we would become students of your word who spend time in it examining it so help us to do that 
as we go off from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.